0: She really pushed for me and gave everyone else the confidence that I could do it and gave me the confidence. So I basically started with that. That was, you know, 10 years ago and I, I never left.
1: Hi everyone and welcome to Sports RD Snippets. I'm Liz Waluka, a registered dietitian and board certified specialist in sports dietetics. Every Wednesday, I'll be bringing you a sports dietitian guest that will share advice, insight, and rewards of the profession, snippets of their own career path to becoming a sports RD. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Sports RD Snippets. I'm so excited to have Jenny Zabinski today on the podcast. Jenny shares great insight and advice on how to grow a sports nutrition program and how to stay positive day in and day out as a sports RD. Jenny shares her perspective on intuitive eating and disordered eating and sport that will hopefully spark even more conversation within our profession after this episode. Jenny Zabinski is currently the owner of Bliss Nutrition, a nutrition counseling private practice focused on sports performance and eating disorders. Adjunct faculty at Virginia Tech, as well as a performance nutrition consultant within Virginia Tech Athletics, where she's overseeing the completion of an all sports dining facility and the treatment and initiatives surrounding eating disorders and disordered eating. Prior to this, Jenny was the Associate Athletics Director for Sports Nutrition at Virginia Tech for eight years. While in this role, Jenny successfully grew the sports nutrition program from two RDs to six RDs and over 20 student workers, while also serving on senior staff, numerous committees, and hosting two Gatorade SNP fellows. Jenny has a degree from Roanoke College, where she also played basketball, and two degrees from Virginia Tech. Jenny has a passion for bringing a non-diet weight-inclusive approach to athletic populations and hopes to supervise sports RDs in the near future who have an interest in promoting body diversity and calling out the normalization of disordered eating. She resides in Christiansburg, Virginia with her husband and twin boys. When she's not working with athletes, you can find her biking, exploring, other outdoor adventures with her boys. You can find her online at Follow Your Bliss Nutrition. Let's jump in and let's meet Jenny
2: hi jenny welcome to the podcast
0: hey liz thanks for having me
2: how are you doing how has quarantine been treating you
0: you know i i'm counting my blessings right now i i'm i'm in a groove i have to balance kids and work and you know everything else going on and just feeling present with um just the world right now. So I feel pretty comfortable. I feel really fortunate that I am not um, dealing with uh, fires and with hurricanes. So yeah, I'm doing pretty well. Awesome.
2: I know it's like, you're just lucky for what you have, but I mean, I can't imagine being like a mom, a dietitian. you're doing it all. (laughs)
0: Yes.
2: (laughs) All right. So I like to start these episodes off with how we know each other. So Jenny was a mentor in the same SNP class that I was in, but she was not my SNP mentor. But OK, Jenny, do you remember when we went to dinner in Chicago? And for some reason, this was like the SNP kickoff. For some reason, like all the mentors were at one table and all the mentees were at another table, but you were at our table. And we could not stop yeah. laughing, but I don't know what we
0: were laughing about. Wait, I totally remember that. We were on some pier and the eating a lot of seafood. <laughs> But yes, I was like in the group, you know, in my element with some enthusiastic, outgoing young ladies mostly. And yeah, we were, we were having that a good thing. time. I was
2: like, that was like, I was like, Jenny's so cool. That was, that it was just so funny. Cause I just remember like, that was so random. Like you were at our table. We, we just could not stop laughing. <laughs> That's where I met Jenny. And then we both were at the business leadership workshop through CPSDA, which it's crazy. That was almost two years ago in January, which is... Yeah, flying. But basically, for anyone who doesn't know, the Business Leadership Workshop, it's designed to help leaders in the field with resources to continue growing professionally in business, administration, communication, and leadership. And um, the weather was really bad that weekend. I don't know if you remember that. And were you supposed to stay another night or was your flight canceled?
0: No, it wasn't canceled. I think I just knew I didn't want to, like, rush back home. But yours was, wasn't it? Yes,
2: yeah. Like literally, like I was about to go to the airport and it was just five minutes before I left. It was like, your flight's canceled. And I was okay. And then I remember like I was in the lobby and I think someone told me you were staying and I was texting you and I was like, are you here? Like, what am I going to do? And you were like right across the couch from me and I like, didn't know you were there. <laughs> but anyways, um my flight got canceled and we went to Harry and Izzy's restaurant, yes. which is a pretty pretty like famous restaurant, I believe. The food was
0: so good. It was so good. I still think about it. <laughs> it was like a five course meal. I, I, have was... pict- I have pictures, I think of like the burger and like, the yeah. it was good. Oh man. Yeah. And the drinks were good. Yeah. It was a great time. I feel like we bond over food a lot. That's like yeah. our thing. That was great. So yeah,
2: that was like so random, but that's how I got to know you a little better, but Yeah. All right, so let's jump in. So Jenny, can you take us through your career path up until this point where you were and where you are today?
0: Yeah, sure. I think it starts with being a collegiate athlete. I was a basketball player. I went to a small school in Southwest Virginia, Roanoke College, got interested in nutrition just because of the performance aspects of it. And I was studying sociology and I was at a small school that didn't have nutrition. So I ended up doing some undergraduate research comparing um, female athletes to non-athletes um, on eating de- on eating behaviors and body image, and so I just I did that while I could kind of keep my feet in nutrition a little bit. Graduated, I started working at a women's pharmaceutical company, and I thought, oh, my, my next step's probably grad school. I don't know what to do, and I, I remember. Um, a, Like sneakily reading like I was on the GSSI website when it was like downtime at work and I was like reading sports nutrition literature and that's when I was like what is going on, I must um, do something about this. And I was like I obviously am interested in this topic, so I got to go back to school. So I applied to tech and I had learned, I had heard that there was such thing as a sports nutritionist that there was, and I was like, this is my dream job. And right there, just down the road at Virginia Tech, Amy Friel was starting up a program. And so I decided to go back to school and I thought it was like, oh yeah, let me just apply. Like I did great at Roanoke, like why wouldn't they want me? Well, I was a transfer student and they're a little bit pickier. So I applied and Uh, I got a denial letter and I was devastated. And I feel like this is a recurring theme, right? We all have to share some failure stories and this was a big one of mine. And I was so pissed and I I felt sorry for myself for like a day. And then I was like, well, I have to figure out why I didn't get in. And it basically came down to prereqs. I had a BA, I was not taking biochem. I didn't have um, anatomy. So I had to go to community college to get back. in and so that lengthened the process this was also back in you know 2007 which may not been that long ago but it was uh, it was like decades ago if you look at it in the sports nutrition world or even the nutrition profession so um I couldn't get my master's like it just wasn't lined up to become a a dietitian that way so I did undergrad with no summers so I couldn't teach I couldn't um do summer classes. So it took a long story short, it took a long time. Um, but it fell right into place um, because I did my internship at tech, stayed in Blacksburg. And then um, I wanted to become a graduate assistant and Amy Friel's GA position was opening up while I was you know finishing up my internship. So you know things fell into place. It was perfect timing and I was fortunate to become her GA. And then another big surprise, um, she got an opportunity to start Indiana's program. So one semester in to my GA um, or my assistantship, she she was um, moving on and I was, um, I wanted a job and she had my dream job and I credit her for like me being at tech right now and me being able to, Continue that program because she, um, she really pushed for me and gave everyone else the confidence that I could do it and gave me the confidence. So I basically um, started with that. That was, you know, 10 years ago and I, I never left. So that's, that's my short story of my career path. I got my master's along the way um, in education. It wasn't in nutrition, so you can get your master's in lots of different things. Um, And that's that wait, so
2: you were a GA when Amy left?
0: Yeah. Wow. What was that transition like? I remember where I was when she told me she was leaving. I was at her house. You're like, where are you going? Yeah. And I was like, and you know, my first thought was that I would lose my GA position. Right. Like that was my first thought that someone else would come in and they'd be like, you know, let's start over, start fresh. And meanwhile, I just, I didn't realize that I had the capability to do it myself. So um, luckily I had built a, a, a good enough reputation so far and I had all the desire in the world to do it. And yeah, it fell into place. Wow. So being a student athlete
2: prior to deregulation, is there any specific nutrition service that you wish you would have utilized as a student athlete looking back?
0: Oh, I would have done, I would have been a part of everything Um, I probably would have definitely taken advantage of, um, any kind of feeding or fueling, uh, and deregulation for those that don't know is back in 2014, there were rules before that bylaws, right. By the NCAA that had us basically our hands were tied with how, when, um, we could feed our student athletes and finally they realized that it really wasn't doing programs very good in actually providing um, the support that athletes needed and so they kind of deregulated that right and they gave institutions um, freedom to provide fuel how they wanted to so training table verbiage kind of went away and there was just lots more freedom so I was before DREG, I didn't have any sports nutrition or nutrition support. I would have loved one-on-one attention with someone and I would have loved um, being able to nutrient time, basically. I wanted to fuel better before and afterwards and I didn't know what that was and I didn't have access to it at all. Um, so yeah, it would have been a lovely, lovely time. You wish you had the Oasis. <laughs> yes yes um liz is referring to our lovely fueling station that's been in existence for like 20 years and it has so much history i feel like
2: it's just so iconic like
0: when i think of virginia, i think of like the virginia Tech oasis <laughs> it's had many forms and many different rooms so yeah there's a lot of story. i'll to have it. to come
2: see it someday post post covid oh please do <laughs> all
0: right being
2: at Virginia Tech for nine plus years, starting out as a GA, then moving into a director role. Any life lessons or something you learned about yourself along the way as you gained more experience throughout the years?
0: Oh, I, I've learned so much. I first, I credit um, Amy Friel first and foremost, right? So she gave me the confidence to start the program. Plus she had a great foundation. There was a reputation there already. And I was just able to build on it. And I also credit our AD that came on with Babcock. He um, he had a vision for the student athlete experience. I was all about the student athlete experience and I knew nutrition had to be play a big part in that. And I feel like I've been in a unique position that I had a lot of leadership opportunities. I had um, responsibility outside of just our new, nu- just our nutrition program, which is a lot, right? Um, I did some sport admin work. I helped um, large events. I was supporting our female athletes in lots of different ways. I was leading different committees, and I, I was given those opportunities, and that growth was just amazing because our athletic department believed in what our program was capable of doing, and that we were we were leaders in. An, in and outside of nutrition. So that has been really special and that's what you know kept me there for 10 years and, and still to this day, I guess. Yeah. As a
2: that's pretty cool. So Amy Friel started the program at Virginia Tech. Then you took over as director. Could you have ever imagined that the program could have grown to the extent and it's still growing?
0: Oh, it, it's, it's crazy how much it's grown there was a lot of factors that, you know, played into that, right? So there, there was support from admin, there was budget changes, there was the Dreg, And we, we went from, you know, a director and a GA to even last year, we had six on staff. So that was when I moved into a consultant role. We had five full-time dietitians at that time. Two were graduate assistants, three were like considered, you know, re- real staff. Um, say that in air quotes. But yeah, I mean, that, that is what really, when, when you work that closely with teams and you have 22 teams, it's kind of what's becoming necessary, right? Like we're not just twiddling our thumbs. They're still working 80 hours a week or 60 hours a week and putting their heart and soul into it. So it's, um, it's been amazing, the growth. And I look forward to seeing it continue to grow. There's lots of different ways to do that.
2: Wow. Yeah, no, I think six full time that's definitely a high standard for other places to fill but it's it's so amazing to be able to like tell other people this is what our field has become and this is how we can support our athletes and I don't think anyone can argue that like we're such a needed profession and how right. you know we just we are as important as strength and conditioning we are as important as sports medicine sports performance because without proper fueling our athletes can't obtain the highest levels in all those other areas so yeah. That's really cool to see.
0: Yeah, I would also just add and promote, it, however you can get in the room where big decisions are made. In our world um, at Tech, it's being on senior staff. And when I was invited to be on senior staff, it let, things totally changed. So when you have nutrition in with important people making important deci- decisions, especially around how money is spent, if I just really encourage those that are starting out to start thinking big picture like that because that's where growth happens is when people know what you're doing and they care about what you're doing and they'll put money into making it work. how you, do you get to senior staff?
2: Like how does that, how do you take that next step? Cause I think a lot of people, they might know about it but it's like, how do you get a seat at the table?
0: Yeah, great, great question. I think it's probably dependent on every school and it's gonna differ. Um, I would say I I started uh, great communication with administration. So I wanted to know our AD. I wanted to know more about what every other department was doing and uh, have a face like they knew who I was. I was around all the time. And that I think helped and then you're just building relationships and we all had one vision right we're trying to enhance the student-athlete experience and it all kind of fell into place but it took time I mean there was different kind of um I guess promotions if you will and it didn't happen overnight but it, it it does with persistence very cool very cool
2: can you tell us about your teaching experience at Virginia Tech did you ever think you would teach and what would be the most rewarding part
0: Yeah, I never, I really never thought I was going to teach. I think of professors with their PhD. I don't have my PhD. I have a lot of admiration for what they do. And then Michelle Rockwell came to Tech and changed my my whole perspective on that, meaning that she gave me an opportunity. So Michelle, um, if you all don't know her, please look her up. Um, She's a veteran um, sports dietitian, one of the very first, started Florida program, Um, NC State uh, has been in academia, uh, now has her PhD. So anyway, she started to build some classes when she got hired as faculty here. And um, she has a sports nutrition focus. So we started a sports nutrition class, an eating disorders class, yada, yada. And so as she's moved on, she kind of um, morphed me into, she's been a great mentor. I would never probably step into teaching without her mentorship. And so I was able to like co-teach with her one semester and now three years in, I've taken over some of her classes and um, I I love it. It's a total different perspective. I love the college life in general. So it keeps me with the college kids. It keeps me in in that realm. Um, And it's a really cool experience. And the students really like the class because it's an elective. They don't have to take it.
2: (laughs) Anything surprise you about teaching that you just wouldn't have thought, like just from starting?
0: The there's a lot of grading. There's a lot of management of the class. Now that it's virtual, it's like, right, you just have to be really responsible and you have to make sure that, you know, they're getting everything they need and that it's fair that it's, um, you know, we're looking at honor code stuff and there's a lot more of the back end work. That people just-
2: don't really talk about.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: that's awesome can you tell us about the transition from being a collegiate sports dietitian and working in private practice now
0: yeah um i you know i decided uh i guess it's been a year and a half ago that i needed to pivot i was having some um i needed to spend some more time with my my kids one was having some health issues and thought this was a good time to see what else is out there in my career so I pivoted a little bit. I still consult with tech, um, so I, I'm in there weekly or working with um, Hokie Fuel weekly. But I also developed a niche around eating disorders and the non-diet approach. And I just I can't go back. I can't unlearn what I've learned um, with that approach. And it's really created this niche for me for a private practice. So um when you have a niche and you have a vision it's really it's much easier to start a website or to create a you know like a brand if you will and now i i'm really narrow with who i see i um i really care about those that just want a better relationship with food and body and they tend to be active as well um and just going through all the nuances with that so not being super prescriptive with what i do i want to connect on a different level um, I felt at the college level when I was um, more in a director role and managing, I didn't get to connect with the athletes as much. And I missed that. I wanted to really know them on a personal level um, and not do so much surface level stuff. So the private practice is allowing me to do that. And I'm loving it so far. There's so much to learn. You really, I had, I had to get out of my bubble of college sports nutrition which I felt really safe in and I've had to do some really um, like uncomfortable things but it's you know it's just the next chapter yeah
2: that's amazing I think too at the collegiate level I don't know if it's just more relevant now but like with eating disorders like people are talking about intuitive eating and sport and it feels more comfortable maybe now than would you say 10 years ago people weren't
0: talking about oh, yeah it I here. mean I didn't I probably knew of the book and um, disregarded it for whatever reason, but it's gaining headway because, as and really social media has a lot of input, right? As we're realizing how disconnected we are now with ourselves, there's technology and social media that uh, have really emphasized rules and rigidity and um, restriction. And now it's just unlearning a lot of this diet culture that has infiltrated sport culture. And a lot of the work I do is defending things, learning things, de- um, mystifying things with athletes, and it's exhausting. And so if we can start them early and knowing like, this is not the path you need to go on. Um, and this is, this is what we're really working with. A lot of intuitive eating just makes so much sense um, with anyone and especially with athletes.
2: Yeah. And I think too, like, I mean, I'm not positive, but I do think a lot of like up and coming sports dietitians or any dietitians in general, like, I mean, for me in my dietetic internship, we read intuitive eating, whereas like that probably was not part of the requirement for other dietetic internships, like five or 10 years before. So I think it is really refreshing that like, you can, like I feel as a sports dietitian, I can still be a sports dietitian, but use intuitive eating within how I counsel without it feeling like, I guess, sometimes I feel like it's like either one or the other but you can kind of combine them. But I, I think that's refreshing that people are realizing like a meal plan is not the answer. And there's, there's ways to help people reach their goals, but you can still connect with them in a way that can help them through disordered eating or just like you don't have to have an eating disorder to have an unhealthy relationship with food. Like so many of our athletes struggle with body image, with social media and how big social media has become. And I forget too, as a dietitian. I feel like we all follow like the positive accounts right like I don't even right. know what a negative account really looks like because we're not right. following like something bad and Perfect. I do think there's so many good accounts out there and there's also like really good podcasts I'm sure do you know Victoria Garrick mm-hmm. her podcast. so
0: but she came to Zach actually oh, she did yeah
2: like um, yeah. I think like, athletes want those resources and I think just by hearing those things on like body image and talking about it like everyone's starting to feel more comfortable because it's not something that like you shouldn't talk about. It's actually like the norm to talk about how you're feeling. And so I think as dieticians, we're moving maybe into a a path, whereas you're coming into the field, like these conversations are more welcomed and normalized because they're going to be helpful for everybody involved.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it really shifted for me when I decided that I didn't want to sit in a room with an athlete and be like the expert. Like I didn't want to have that power. And when, when I did more work around the non-diet approach and really looked into intuitive eating, it allows us to have to give back that athlete some autonomy, right? So to empower them that they really know what they're doing. They've, they've eaten their whole life. We aren't gonna come up with like, we know more than what your body's telling you, like we don't have that power. And sometimes that's the message is that we are we prescribe, we know better, we know what's best. Um, and then they feel like they can't even tune in and listen. And, and really what I'm trying to do is just be guideposts at some point, give them some level of support and guidance, but really let them figure it out on their own. And that's way more worth it than, you know, getting rules from from someone else, so.
2: Yeah. I was also fortunate in my dietetic internship. Um, I was with a motivational interviewing expert named Susan Dopart. I mean, that was probably the most amazing experience I've ever had because I don't even know how to be a dietitian now without like, am I? And the best advice she ever gave me was like, you have to, you have to get someone like you have to get them. And like, I've never gone into a session being like, I'm going to tell them what to do because like our our role is to evoke something within the student athlete to give them the tools to help themselves. So um, it takes the pressure off yourself as a dietitian thinking like, oh, I have to solve this person's like weight loss. When it's like you're, like you said, you're empowering the athlete that they have the tools within themselves. Our role as a dietitian is just to give them the education and evoke you know, what they can do. Yeah. Um, definitely starting out as a younger dietitian, I think you're just so like, oh my God, like, what if I get this wrong or what if I don't prescribe like the right amount of like it's and it's so like you're so missing the point. Whereas if you just right. go in without any agenda, which is easier said than done, I mean, you won't be stressed for a minute. Like yes,
0: yes, you really nailed it. Like we we have to get this the sports nutrition knowledge there, and that takes time. But if you're really missing the the point, if If that's not, that, there's so much more important things about connecting and building rapport and getting trust with who you're working with. Like they're gonna, they care. I care more about them as a human being than about prescribing nutrition advice to them. Like I care that they're staying up at night thinking about what to eat the next day or that they're not eating recovery because they have this belief system that that's going to make them gain weight. I mean, all of that is really nuanced, right? And we have to talk about attitudes and feelings and thoughts. Yeah. um, Not so black and white.
2: Yeah. Someone asked me, they were like, how do you deal with this situation if an athlete comes into your office? And I said something like, usually when they come into my office, I usually ask like, how are you doing? And because usually (laughs) how they're doing is going to predict like how their nutrition is going. Yeah. If you, if you're just like, how's the weight loss going? I mean, no one would say that, but like, if you just try to like, get to your point, like you could be missing the whole aura of like the conversation. So like they'll come in and they'll say like, I'm really stressed out. Then like, oh, there's your cue to be like, something else is going on and Mm -hmm. asking people how they are like, not just because, but like genuinely wanting to know, like, how they are, or like being really curious about what sport they do, it's kind of part of the getting to know the athlete, but it helps you within your counseling skills when you connect with an athlete and kind of figure out what's important to them because then your education is going to stick. Right. Exactly. All right. What is the best piece of advice you have ever received in your career up until this point?
0: I I want to share two. One is not, no one specifically said this, but now that I reflect back on last couple of years. Um, it's start before you are ready. And that has been a bit of a theme. When I think about how fearful I was starting the position at tech. And then when I started teaching, um, when I started my private practice, I never felt ready. You're never going to feel fully ready. And I think the best, um, I, and I learned that through my, my colleagues and my mentors that they were like, nope, you you know, you got it. Like just start. And I'm, and there's never a perfect time. The other thing that um, our, my AD wit Babcock says all the time to us is stay neutral to positive at all times. So I really like that piece of advice because we work in a really high stress environment. We're overworked, we're stressed out easily. And um, when we can stay neutral to positive, it just, it just works. I mean, I've I think my enthusiasm has uh, has led me to a lot of great opportunities. And that's because I refuse to show a negative attitude, even if I feel it. Being a leader, I think it's important. And then just being a follower as well. And so if you can't be positive, at least be neutral. Oh, I like that. I've never heard I like that. that.
2: I do like start before you're ready. Thank that's you. That's a really good one. And I think if, if 2020 has taught us anything, I don't know, not like there was like rules before of like how to do something, but I feel like 2020 has just given you permission to like do whatever you want to do. And like, yeah. you want to start a knitting business? Like, I don't know. Like, I feel like before it'd be like someone would like judge you or something. And <laughs> now it's just like, do whatever you want to do. And yeah, like you said, there's no perfect time to start. And that would be boring if you felt ready. Like, it'd be boring if right. it wouldn't be a challenge. Ready. Yeah. yeah,
0: exactly. Like a good challenge hope right. you can start your knitting business soon? I've never knitted anything in my life. That's what <laughs> All
2: right, you ready for the rapid fire round? I guess. Who's your favorite son? I'm kidding.
0: <laughs> All right, go to smoothie at the oasis. Oh, I mean I always made a mixed berry with peanut butter Ooh. and like a vanilla base peanut butter has got to be in all my smoothies. Mm. Sometimes I throw spinach in there, but yeah, mixed berry with peanut butter. That sounds good. Tacos or quesadillas? Tacos. Worst
2: thing an intern can do?
0: Ooh, show up late or miscommunicate, not communicate at all. Best qualities of an intern? Well, I guess punctual would be one. Uh, motivated, enthusiastic, ready to do whatever, just fun to be around and really coachable, like wants to learn, humble, ready to go.
2: All right, last question, are you ready? Yeah. If you could tell your younger RD self one thing, what would you say?
0: I would say to be more curious, to think more critically, to go with your gut if you know something doesn't feel right and and like work through it there's a lot of things that I feel like I just followed the status quo even with some of the training and learning I went through as in in dietetics and now I'm able to critically think a little bit more and I think it relates to our world right now and how like with social injustice and You know, I look at privilege now. I examine my biases. I look at weight stigma. All of that has been like some eye opening stuff. And I wasn't critically thinking enough, I think, in my younger self. And now I feel um, able to do that.
2: I love that. Stay curious and think critically. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Jenny, thanks so much for being on today. Go
0: Hokies and have a rest of your week. Go Hokies. Thanks for having me.
1: Thanks so much for listening to this episode on Sports RD Snippets. I hope you found our conversation helpful today. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Apple or Spotify. Share the podcast or tell another Sports RD to be or sports dietitian about it. If you can rate and review the podcast, it really helps the show and is much appreciated. Remember to follow along on Instagram at Sports RD Snippets to see what Sports Artie guest is featured each week. I'm super excited to bring on my upcoming guests, so please stay tuned. I'm Liz Waluka, and thanks so much for listening.